0: Love talk Radio
1: Hello, 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 everyone. Good morning, welcome to the Jennifer Tebow show. I'm your host, Jennifer Tebow, and today is Monday, May sixteenth. 2011. We're starting the day off early. It's 6 a.m. Central Daylight Time. That's the CDT in case you were ever curious. I'm noticing people are just putting like the first letter and then the T so they don't have to worry about daylight saving time or standard because they figure you know what time of the year it is. But I'm telling you, it is 6 a.m. Central Daylight Time and I'm happy to be joining you now, um, after what again was beyond an unbelievable and action-packed week, um, this is the Jennifer Tebow Show. This is a show where I talk about I'm not the message. I didn't necessarily create the message. I am not. I am not just a messenger of messages from other people. I'm the connection point. Uh, I'm that connection point connecting people, information, and resources. And I just couldn't be happier to be joining you today. I wanted to just, right off the top, this is really important, I wanted to send a Dr. J, Jennifer Tebow, hello, um, to all of my registered voters. Registered voters, let me hear you. (laughs) Now, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice if that many registered voters were, like, ready to say, yeah, I'm registered and I'm, like, alive and active and participating in the process of finding the right people who will represent my thoughts, my sentiments, and my direction and my vision for my city, state, or even uh, federal government. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, But it's not necessarily so. But I want to send an even big special hello to those people who actually exercise their right to vote. Ooh, that's <laughs> Those are a special group of people because a lot of times when people go to, to renew their driver's license, at least in Texas especially, then it's just a part of the process to be registered to vote. You have to like purposely say like, no, I, I don't want a voice to not be registered. But it's a whole other story when you actually go out and vote. So I want to talk about voting right off the top. Those of you who follow me on Facebook and Twitter are not surprised that I am still talking about voting. Um, It is exciting because this plugs into our future. So if you find yourself wanting to tune yourself out, you need to reevaluate what's really going on because voting is important. So last week I talked about this big vote going down in the Missouri City area. Uh, This had to do with uh, three seats for the Fort Bend Independent School District, and board member seats. And so the Willow Ridge High School alumni, they were supporting three particular candidates uh, for election, uh, so that uh, when the the topic, the idea, the notion comes up that Willow Ridge High School uh, would potentially close, that these three, that the alumni were supporting, had very strong views about keeping the school open. So obviously the alumni was pushing really hard to get people out and participating and actually voting. And so the winners, I'm going to just talk about the actual winners. This is in Fort Bend Independent School District, by the way, which is part of the Houston area, suburb area. Some people say Sugar Land. It's really Missouri City. Uh, so the winners were of those three important seats, Susan um, Hanbaum. I'm sorry if I am. Just butchering your name, Bruce Albright and Dr. Patsy Taylor, who, by the way, won by 52 votes against Dr. Janita Reynolds. So Willow Ridge Alumni Association, I'm giving that
2: that alumni
1: name the word association. They're not formally an association yet, but that group that I am proud to be a part of as well, uh, you know, got a victory. With with Hanbaum, but the other ones, uh, the other two candidates that they were supporting, Kevin Daniels and Dr. Janita Reynolds, were not elected. So that was really a bummer um, for all of the people who were really pushing to create a very strong interest in keeping Willowridge open. Uh, There were similar disappointing outcomes for my own local elections. I just wanted to share that with you. In the DFW area, the race for Dallas mayor has now gone into a runoff. There was speculation that that was going to happen. So I'm not necessarily disappointed, but I would love to see the decision be settled, as I'm sure the candidates would have. Well, at least one would have, right, (laughs) the actual winner. And so the runoff now consists of candidate Mike Rawlings, who received over 40% of the votes, And with former uh, Dallas Chief of Police, David Kunkel. So I'm not a resident of Dallas, but I'm just going to go ahead and just say it. I want to say it like it is. If I lived in Dallas still, which I have lived in Dallas and I have voted for for Dallas um, people in the past when I was in the city, in the city limits, I should say, I'm throwing my support for Mike Rawlings. And let me tell you why. I've met the man several times. I feel really comfortable with his circle. And when I say his circle, that comprises of the people, information, and resources around him. I think he is a very wise man. He's the former CEO of Tita Hut. I think he has a lot of good people at his fingertips, experts uh, that can pull some, some fun things into the city and attract great things. As you know, in the past, we've tried to get things like the Olympics in the Dallas area. You know, we just got Dallas All-Star and Super Bowl. I don't know how that's going to turn out for us again in the future. It just so happens the snow followed us and the ice followed us terribly for both of those events. And so while it was beyond our control, ice and snow, which we're looking at like 12 inches of snow for NBA All-Star, ice and snow in the South doesn't really fare too well. So, um but we want to be able to attract those great, great events and world games and those kinds of things. And we really need both a, in some ways, a politician, but in my eyes, we also need a really strong leader. And so I feel confident that Mike Rawlings, uh has those characteristics, not talking about the former chief of police, uh, David Kunkel. In any way, I just feel really, really confident with, with Mike Rawlings. He's proactive. Uh, he would... Definitely get my vote if I still live within the city limits. So Dallas, get out there and vote definitively for your next mayor. The elections are now scheduled for June 18th. And in the city of Frisco, yay, that's my city, in the city of Frisco, a suburb. Uh, this part, so when I say I live in the Dallas area, that's the area I'm talking about. So in the city of Frisco, uh, by the way, which one is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. We had a lot of de- a lot of decisions to consider. Um, on Saturday, I-, I was really all kinds of inspired because of the things that I observed, the things that I didn't observe. Just because I'm inspired doesn't mean it's I'm inspired. Cause I saw a bunch of positive things, so I'm inspired to take action and make the move. So, in honor of the concepts of voting, I was inspired to write a letter to the mayor of Frisco. Uh, and that is Mayor Mazo. Now, Mayor Mazo was up for re-election. He is in the midst of completing his first term as Mayor of Frisco. And, by the way, he was re-elected. And I want to share with you this, this letter that I've already dropped in the mail to Mayor Mazzo. Dear Mayor Mazo, I want to take the time to congratulate you on the re-election in the city of Frisco, Texas. I was very vocal to my circle of friends who live in Frisco about voting. Also, a big vote was Proposition 1 regarding the Arts Center. Regardless of each person's opinion, voters did vote this weekend to reject Proposition 1. I was amazed to see that only 11,000 people voted in this round of elections. 11,000 people. Um, I'm confused because you know that Frisco has over 120,000 people and will be adding a zip code to the city because of the rapid growth of the city. So how did we get here that less than 10% of the city bothered to vote? I want our elections and our representatives to represent the people. I want us to have a voice and change, not contribute silence and indifference. Mayor Mazo, I'm reporting for volunteer duty to encourage the people of Frisco, Texas, to get involved. You need a city who is behind you, and I want to help. Years ago, it would have been unheard of for a woman of color to write a letter to the mayor of a city, but this is not that time frame. Laws support voting more than they deter voting. One would believe that there were hoses, dogs, police batons, etc., at the polls this past weekend which would explain poor voter turnout. Instead, what I experienced was that there were very happy, helpful volunteers guiding people through the process. I know the entire 120,000 people are not eligible to vote. I mean, in fact, some are under 18 years old. But I'm sure the numbers are quite high for eligible voters. I want them coming to the polls so that we can support your administration moving forward. Political change doesn't happen on Election Day. It is merely a kickoff. I'm here with you to help see the positive changes continue to take place. Your voting Frisco friend, Jennifer Thiebaud. All right, so that is my vote, uh, that is my letter that is going out to Mayor Mazo. So why did I even bother to do that? Well, number one, I do want Mayor Mazo to realize that he has more than 11,000 people supporting him. Uh, now, when I looked at the polling numbers, 11,000 people voted, um, he got, like 52, 53% of the vote. So with 120,000 people in Frisco, less than 6,000 people made the decision for the mayor of Frisco in mm-hmm. one of the fastest-growing cities in the United States. Something is wrong with that picture. I'm really needing people to get out. When I sit there and watch American Idol and watch the millions of people and the millions of votes they go through I would be willing to bet you more people voted for American Idol than voted for the mayor, you know, in the city of Frisco. More people in Frisco voted for American Idol than did our mayor, okay? So we've got to really change that. That's really, really important. So I'm asking you, for those of you who had elections this Saturday, did you vote? Did you? Did you really vote? I mean, you don't need to tell me. Um, You don't need to, to demonstrate it. But you need to go out and vote. I mean, we've got to get beyond a society that just talks about things, and you've got to take action. It's not difficult. You don't have to go all glammed up to vote. Put your flip-flops on, grab your ID, and go out and vote. And then you'll start realizing those things that people are actually talking about. Uh, You'd be surprised those propositions that kind of sneak their way on Um, that have huge ramifications, dollars and cents to your city, and to certain people's pocketbooks so you might want to get out there and actually watch it. So while I was on Facebook, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, I got really in an uproar about what used to be, you know, the voting woes of of some of the segment of the population back in the day and what we have today. Now, when I went to vote in, you know, in my precinct, uh, there were two other people of color out of maybe mm, – there were probably about 50 people standing in line when I walked in, which was about midday through the regular day election. Uh, so I don't know what it looked like. I, I can't tell you what it looked like for early voting, all those things. I can just tell you when I went for regular election period, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. around midday, that's what it looked like. And so not a lot of people of color. But there are a lot of people of color in Frisco. So, I mean, they are there, but there were really only a few. And there were a lot of women out there, so I was very encouraged. It seems pretty diverse from a gender standpoint, but not highly represented at the moment in time when I went. And so I'm really needing uh, everybody from a diversity standpoint to get out. So I went back in history and said, okay, let's look at the history, the voting history in Texas. of you know, I'm going to talk about this as we get closer, but I'm going to mention it now. Um, Texas in particular, many cities in Texas celebrate Juneteenth. Um, if you're not in Texas, it's not shocking if you don't know what Juneteenth is. Juneteenth is June 19th. is designed to celebrate the moment in time when Texas slaves discovered, got word, caught wind, that they were free. Now, that would maybe be an okay thing except for the fact that slaves, slavery had been over for three years. Which meant in Texas, we were continuing to enslave people um, for three years, not three days longer than everybody else. Three years. I mean, I know we didn't have internet. I know we didn't have cell phones, but there were a lot of slave masters. I'd be willing to bet you almost all by the end of three years knew that they were enslaving people and that it was against the law, and they were doing it. You know, it just it's a shame. So. We've got this holiday, this pseudo-holiday to celebrate, a moment in time where Texas kept slaves three years long and everybody else. That's why I look at it. I don't really know why we celebrate Gen I personally feel like it is a slap in the face, but, uh, you know, that's me. And, by the way, one thing I failed to tell you, so make sure you're listening to the, the Jennifer Tebow show, if you want to dial in. You can dial in at 347-637-1837. Again, that's 347-637-1837. Okay. So, at any rate, I just think sometimes we we jump to celebrate something we don't fully understand. And Juneteenth is the one thing that I said, if people really dig deeply into the understanding of Juneteenth, I don't really think that is a, a time to celebrate the fact that Texas Slaves were enslaved for three years longer than everybody else. I think that's honestly a point of shame for our state. And I, I, I was not born in Texas, but I was raised in Texas, and so I will continue to call it our state. I think it's a point of shame. I think we we need to focus on other more prominent um, areas of Texas where we had real progress and breakthroughs. That wasn't progress. That was us catching up then. But that's another story. So anyway. Um, sat down and looked at the history of voting, and of course, in, in the 1920s, really was when it was when you know people of color really had no voice, and laws were put in place, and that's when you started having this poll tax, meaning you know, and, and that was part of the Jim Crow laws, and was a, an opportunity to say hey, if you're not paying tax, if you didn't own property, then you couldn't vote, which which by virtue of circumstances. By virtue of circumstances, it deemed many people of color, in particular in the South, ineligible to vote because of that poll tax law. It really, uh, shockingly enough, it really boiled down to 1965 and 1966. Finally, when laws were finally passed and uh, were attempted, I'm going to say attempted to be upheld because I've heard many stories of of uh, major voting problems and woes after, after those dates. So when you know when those things were abolished, the poll taxes, um, it's it's interesting because now what's happening is it's almost like it's coming full circle because uh now it's coming up that people want to add um some requirements for what you have to show, ID requirements of what you have to show when you go in to vote. Now part of it is led because we are going to more of electronic voting you remember the whole hanging chad thing. And so I understand the rationale, but what it's also going to do, it's going to impact significantly um, segments of the population, in particular, like the elderly. So, you know, with progress comes penalty. I'll never forget when my eighth-grade English teacher, uh, Miss Crow, uh, told us that. And I to that. That would be for Mrs. Cole. I was like, that couldn't be true, but that is, in fact, the truth. So we've got lots of stuff to sort out. What I do know is some people died to vote. I do know that uh, there were intimidation factors and tactics that were put in place to, to deter people from voting. So what I do know is today, as I told Mayor Mazo, you would believe that those tactics were in place for the reason why we had such a poor turnout. But in case you didn't know, you know, I'm in Texas, so maybe I do need to tell people that you know there are no dogs, there are no people shouting at you not to vote, there are no unfair laws that will have you turned away at the door. So get out and vote. If you have not voted, you need to register to vote. And so you know, I encourage you to go to your Secretary of State website, Go to your county offices to register. It's quick and easy and simple. There's also a website called registertovote.org, registertovote, just like it sounds, .org. and they basically will pull up your voter registration form for your state. You can electronically fill it out. They will just mail it to you, filled out, so you can just sign it, and then you just drop it in the mail to your local office and you'll get registered. So make sure that you register. It's part one. Part two, vote. Don't just be the person that votes for the president. The president cannot carry the weight of his administration without having a good team. I made that comment on Facebook. I said, look, if you you like basketball, then you need to be voting. And that tie-in is because Michael Jordan could not have won those championships without all the other people around him, Pippen and everybody else. So this year we're voting for Pippen. We're, we're, you know, we're we're voting for, you know, all of the great supporting cats, the J.J. Boreas of the world had to throw in a little Dallas, you know, the Jason kids. We're voting for those people, so make sure you get out and vote. All right, so on to entertainment news. I talked about Oprah last week making changes at the CEO position of OWN, and tomorrow she's taping her last show. Now she's taping it. It's going to air a little bit later on in the month, but she's taping it. She's taping it tomorrow, so I don't know if that's really out, so sorry, Oprah, if I'm leaking it, but she's taping it tomorrow. Um, I think she's doing it, and uh, it might even be in the United Center. It's in a huge, huge arena uh, for her last show. So it's a sad day for her viewers when her show finally goes off the air, but hopefully when they come to the grips with the fact that the Queen of Toss is gone, they'll turn to own. Own certainly does need it. So good luck, Oprah, and good luck to the audience because, you know, I know everybody in there is thinking, can she give a car to everybody in, a, in an arena? Well, we're going to see. <laughs> but I think it's not so much about what is Oprah going to give. Hopefully people in the audience will be able to give some love and some things back. All right, on to Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan received a plea deal. With the whole jewelry heist case thing, so she pled guilty to a lesser charge, got jail time, but because of overcrowding, she will do house arrest to serve her jail time. She also got community service, court fees, and extension to her current probation period. Now, some people are outraged about the latest lack of punishment, but I'm just hoping that she sees the blessing in the in the light punishment um, and doesn't continue to test those waters because eventually, it's not going to work out. Speaking of testing the waters, Twitter has been all up at arms because Rihanna and Chris Brown are now Twitter buddies and posting replies to each other. So as you may recall, Rihanna and Chris Brown uh, were subject of media frenzy and public opinion when the young couple got into a physical altercation resulting in visible injuries to Rihanna's face. I've talked about this many times on the show. Chris Brown has been vilified and, in my opinion, really too long. Uh, They've apparently mended fences, those two, and Chris's restraining order has expired. So Rihanna even went so far as to defend her choice, to follow Chris's tweets, as to curse a fan out on Twitter. I was like, wow, that's kind of rough. I mean, I know he's your brand-new friend again, but, you know, walk slowly on this one, Rihanna. I will say that, walk slowly. But I will say, if it works for them, you know, why do we, the public, feel like we – you know, I have something to say. You know, both are more grown today than they were when the assault occurred. Let's just hope they've grown and learned from who they are. Good luck to you both. And to the Tweeple and to Twitterville, just get over it. All right. And finally, the award for most bitter actor. Da-da-da. Who does that go to? Charlie Winning Sheen. <laughs> See, Charlie, you're still winning. You just won the most bitter actor award. So Ashton Kutcher Signed on with the juggernaut two-and-a-half men for for less per episode than Charlie. He's going to make about a million per episode and is bringing his six million Twitter followers with him every step of the way. So good luck, two-and-a-half men. If you want a fresh face for even less than Ashton, you know, you just call me. <laughs> but on to more serious news. Let's talk about politics for a second. I want to talk about approval ratings, big names, dropping out, and Trumping the Trumpster. So President Obama's approval ratings are higher than ever. It's amazing how people feel about you when you defeat the world's number one terrorist. And here's, here's what the Associated Press had to say about Obama's President
0: Obama's approval rating. President Barack Obama is starting his re-election bid with some welcome news approval ratings that are among the highest of his term. A new Associated Press GFK poll puts Obama's job approval at 60 percent, thanks in part to signs of life in the economy and the successful U.S. raid that led to the death of Osama bin Laden. But with the 2012 election more than a year away, no one at the White House is declaring Obama's road to victory an easy one. Unemployment rate still 9 percent. You uh, still have threats, uh, particularly terrorist threats, You know, in the wake of bin Laden's killing. And um, there are a whole host of issues that the public continues to be frustrated about. The speed at which the political landscape can shift is a lesson some former one-term presidents know all too well. Take George Bush, Sr. His approval ratings were near 90% at the end of the successful Desert Storm operation. But the broad public support was fleeting. When the economy tanked, so did Bush's poll numbers, dropping to below 50% within a year. For the Obama White House, the still fragile economy is a top re-election concern. And just as the surprise news of Bin Laden's death shifted the way some in the public view the president, it's impossible to predict what else could emerge over the next year that could do the same, either positively or negatively. All of this that we talk about now, about the political environment and the political landscape, it can change on a dime, as we've seen in the last two weeks. Also crowding the 2012 election picture for Obama is the fact that the Republican field has been slow to come together. The Associated Press GFK poll showed that more than 50 percent of Americans believe Obama deserves re-election. But that number could very well shift once the President gets a real opponent. Julie Pace, The Associated Press, The White House.
1: All right, thanks again to The Associated Press for their top-notch reporting. I really do appreciate being able to report accurately uh the latest and the greatest, uh, for things that happen in the White House and with President Obama. All right. Now what I found interesting, however, I will say this. You know, his ratings are better than ever. They're you know, they are really through the roof and all that great stuff. What I find fascinating is that people are still trying to find fault in the man. Um, let's let him just marinate on the fact that, you know, Bin Laden is dead just, just for a little bit. I mean, he's still working, keep in mind, like you and I thought that or not not me. Maybe you thought that he wasn't doing a whole lot, but we know that he is. So let him revel just a little bit in this victory. In other political news, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee announced Saturday that he will not seek the GOP nomination for president in two thousand twelve. Thought to be a front runner, he was filmed saying his heart says not to run. He said all the signs say yes, but his heart says no. Well, let's see. I want to talk about that heartbeat for a second. Um, what do you say during a presidential debate? President Obama says, I got bin Laden. The Republican candidate, any one of them, says, well, I got, um, I got, um, shoot, I got nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm thinking most of them are are kind of moonwalking out of this situation like, Lord, what am I going to say on debates and everything else? Some of the tactics that were used uh, to try to ca- bring question into the leadership style of then Senator Obama. Now President Obama they can't use those. They were talking about his lack of experience and all that. You know, now all that has been taken away. And be very critical of the way that he's run his administration. But again, there have been major victories. It's going to be an, a tough battle for any opponent, as long as President Obama is still going to be running for re-election, and we know, in fact, that he is. All right, so with the approval ratings for the R today, it seems the only person that can beat President Obama is himself or pathetic voter turnout. We've talked about this already. So I understand, you know, that, you know, so I understand, you know, and, and I understand that. So, you know, I'm going to look to see Huckabee throw his name into the hat Four years from now, when President Obama is forced to leave office due, due to term limitations, I sincerely hope all of the parties, including the Democrats, bring their A game. However, for opposition, this is the competitor in me. Uh, it really only helps President Obama raise his own level, like, bring up his game. I mean, if he if, if he's if he's got an A game, I want his A plus game for the for his second term. That's just me. So I'll keep watching. But for now, Huckabee is gone fishing. He should be on TNT. All right, and while we're talking politics, I know the two shouldn't come together, but I guess it is. The Donald should not be considered, you know, really during my political conversation segment, but it is. So I'm giving him the courtesy for one more day before I drop drop kick him back to entertainment. And, yes, I will drop kick him back because that is he's very entertaining. Good news for the show Celebrity Apprentice, which has been renewed for the fall Comcast NBCU has announced that the show will go on without the Trumpster, Um, should he dedicate his time to run for president. Now, today is the deadline, by the way, guys, so his big decision is lingering. Uh, It's being reported that sources close to Donald are saying that it's a really big decision and that he's on the fence. I personally don't think it's a big decision. He knows that he's not running. But, you know, it's, again, entertaining all the same just to watch this little silly plan that I think backfires on kind of play out. Uh, But I think really the funniest story is that, you know, hey, Donald, if you go on to try to do something big and great, NBCU said we're going on without you. I mean, we're leaving you. Like, the the show was going to happen without you. So it shows you how important you are. And I'm thinking if. NBCU can't wait a year or whatever for our accommodate your schedule to have this show. Why would the voters vote for you if the network that makes a heck of a lot of money off you, if they leave you, why would voters stick with you? Hmm. Something to think about. <laughs> All right. So, um, on to, well, before I go on to sports, I just want to say this really quickly because I do not want to run out of time in this show and I've got a lot to talk about. Uh, my heart, Um, and really goes out to those victims of the floods. Uh, As many of you are probably watching the actual news, they have opened the floodgate. They've purposely uh, broken levees or lowered levees, different levees to purposely flood to relieve uh, the Mississippi River. And so they've had to make some very important decisions that are difficult, which is to flood smaller towns in the state of louisiana for the purpose of saving the larger more populated areas uh now maybe now i am i was born in louisiana i i do consider that truly home uh those are my people they sound like me uh i probably don't sound so louisiana like everybody else but in my heart i do they sound like me they look like me uh they have they share my same perspective and it just it's very sad to know that there are going to be some cities that will completely go away. I hope and pray that people realize that this is not a hurricane. This is this is real. The water levels are going to be higher than your house. You can't ride it out, the little kayak that you have in your garage. You can't just say, I'm going to see how bad it is. Please get out of there. Please, please, please get out of there. You know, this is a state that you feel like can't catch a break. You go from Katrina to BP oil spill, and now we're flooding the state to try to relieve it. Unfortunately, the water's got to go somewhere and go into the Gulf. I just hope and pray that New Orleans um, doesn't get some huge brunt of the issue of the issue, which is the actual flooding. So, um, I was just recently in New Orleans. It has not bounced back yet. Um, there's just been too too much of a series of things and there's been things like funding that's been held up so um, please let's pray for our brothers and sisters this is this is not um, I mean, I'm not praying for a certain skin color I'm praying for all people in the state of Louisiana in all the states impacted by the floods that they can recover survive as best as possible and this is a phase two prayer because I pray that our government and and entities like FEMA respond appropriately this time that some of the things that you put in place once you realize that you really have it together, that it's together now, um, and we can save those people and rescue people where it needs to happen and kind of rebuild and be much stronger this time around. So I just want to say that. All right. So my prayers are with you. On to sports, NBA action, football stalemates, and athletes gone too soon. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the number of athletes that we lost just even in the past week. Almost every day we lost somebody from a 28-year-old hockey player, Blue to who, by the way, died. Uh, They're not sure why they kind of found him in his apartment. I think he missed his morning practice, which caused concern, and so they went to look for him and found him dead. He had missed most of this past NHL season as a result of concussion. Yes, I said that loud for a reason, as a result of concussion. Um, And so they don't know, um, you know, why he's dead. They are going to do an autopsy, and, you know, there is some suspicion that his death may have something to do with those concussions. So you know that I'm going to be all over that. Uh, We also lost Ron Springs. Uh, We lost him last Thursday. Uh, Ron had actually been in a coma for four years. Uh, Ron is a former Dallas Cowboy. He died at 54 years old. He famously received a kidney transplant from his former teammate, and uh, he went back in to have a different type of surgery. He had a big, huge bout with diabetes, which is really what caused him to have these debilitating problems. Um, he went in for a surgery and actually slipped into a coma four years ago and, and finally passed on. And so they're doing a lot of memorials and things in Dallas, but a great guy, was 54 years old, gone too soon. Also, another football player at the collegiate level uh, died as well uh, they're not sure how or why he died I think he's about 21 years old um, lots of people in the NBA we lost uh, Robert Tractor um, 34 years old they found him in his apartment in Puerto Rico it's believed that he had a heart attack he was on the phone with his wife at the time a uh, former NBA uh, played seven years in the NBA kind of a journeyman and then went on to play overseas for several different teams to continue a living, which many players are able to do in basketball. I was on the phone with him, and kind of the phone went dead. She got concerned. I guess it was unlike their phone conversations. And so teammates or team officials went up to try to find him, found him in his apartment, and he had died. So uh, they, are, they are assuming heart attack. He had a lot, an awful lot of weight on him as a basketball player. Um, but just gosh, we lost a lot of people. I actually went um, and did some research a few days ago about, because I was like, wow, oh, it seems like there's not a lot of athletes just dying. And I felt like every day there was something new. And there are actually, there were like 40 some odd athletes, Not we're not even at the midway mark in the year that had passed on, and some very, very young. And I'm sure it's not an all encompassing list, it's just a list that I found. I think it was ESPN put it together. So it's just very, very sad. Uh, in other sad sports news, the the NFL lockout, it still resumes. Negotiations are not really moving along. Uh, the true doomsday has been set for June 3rd. Why do I say that? Because if you haven't been keeping up, the U.S. Eighth, Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a temporary stay on Judge Susan Richard Nelson's ruling more than a couple of weeks ago, which reinstated the owner-imposed closed-door policy. You remember, that's when there was a lockout, then for like a few minutes, the doors were open, and then a few minutes later they were closed again. You remember that, right? I do. I remember it well. So um, owners went in, asked for a temporary stay. They got it. So now the, the new hearing to, to hear both sides again is going to happen on June 3rd. Mediation between players and owners is scheduled to resume Monday, which may only add to the judge's decision maybe not to revisit the temporary stay rule and allow it to just stay. <laughs> That's bad play on words. All right, so here's I do want you to hear what what Rick Harrow at Fox Sports had to say about the current state of of the N B. Oh, I'm sorry, of the NFL CBA. So let me listen. Let me tell you what old Rick had to say.
2: We are Fox. Sports. Fox Sports. I'm Rick NFL labor this Thursday. NFL's locked out players, asking a federal judge for at least $707 million in damages stemming from the dispute over the $4 billion in broadcast revenue. Judge David Doty took the request under advisement after a two hour hearing. Players accused the NFL of illegally securing $4 billion war chest by renegotiating TV contracts for 2011. The ruling is expected as soon as possible. Across the hall, Judge Susan Richard Nelson reconvenes the mediation on Monday between the two sides. One, the league. The other, no union. But the only way the deal can get done in this context is through a negotiated settlement at the courthouse steps, ironically, across the hall from Judge Doty. Lockout or no lockout, that's her issue long term, with now the 8th Circuit to decide that in St. Louis. It is absolutely ironic and interesting. The ground zero of the NFL labor debate taking place where? Minnesota. At the same point, a tremendous controversy brewing as Ramsey County announces a billion-dollar stadium for the Vikings. Oh, wait, a new downtown stadium for the Vikings, a billion dollars in Minneapolis. And at the bottom line is, which one gets funded? Nobody knows. It's a great time for a lawyer in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Rick All right. Thanks,
1: Rick Haro at Fox Sports. So this is what I have to say. You know, instead, you know, you've got this growing sense that the lockout is going to remain in effect at least through June 3rd when the court will hear arguments once again for both sides. But the the buzz really continues that the owners may shut down for business. Uh, That's going to be a maneuver, a tactic that's going to help them kind of wiggle their way out of some of the legal woes that they have now. It's an extreme measure, but it is an option to them. Uh, there are major rumors flying around that even things like HGH testing will be a sticking point for for owners in any new collective bargaining agreement. You know, if you ask me, you know, I hear fear tactics, and I don't like it one bit. You know, honestly, there is the sport of football and there's the business of football. Nowhere, and I do mean nowhere, is there space for coercion and scare tactics. And that's, that's what I think. You know, all of a sudden, the owners, didn't get what they wanted, and they thought, you know what, players are building up scene, they feel strong, But so let's really scare them and tell them, look, whenever you all come to the table, if you don't come to the table quickly, we're going to add in HDH testing. That's steroids, by the way, if you don't follow um, any level of sport. I just think it's scare tactics, and I, and I think, you know, it's really shame on these coercion and scare tactics. You know, I need both sides to really reasonable sit down Reasonably sit down to resolve this. Figure out how to divide that $9 million pie and get to dividing it. Stop getting your feelings hurt and, you know, everything in a bunch. You know, owners, show the player your books. If you're saying you need the extra money because you're hurting financially, then just show them. I mean, I'm sure that there are so many skeletons written in those books, and that would be the reason that the owners would rather not reveal them because I just – I just can't imagine why you continue on. You just didn't want to show your actual book. And for the retired players, it means that their interests continue to be ignored. Nowhere, and I mean nowhere, are you hearing people really talk about, the, you know, how this negotiation is impacting players. It's not really talked about in mainstream. And, you know, and so when we say goodbye to players like Ron Springs and the and the NCAA football athlete, you know, you got to say, look, players are suffering. And honestly, death is really not the worst outcome. It's living with the pain of, you know, the physical pain that football really imposes on these lifelong injuries and having no support from the industry that cheered you on while you made that industry money. Ladies and gentlemen, as my mother would say, that's one hell of a no. So as always, my friends at DavePear.com are working overtime to connect football veterans with information and resources that help them improve their quality of life. I've always said... They're a great source to learn about what's happening with the lockout and issues and what I consider a movement. So please, please, please go visit my buddies at They, I mean, they literally have over a million people interested in the factual information that they are providing. They are the connection point as well. You know, they are delivering a message, but they are bigger than the message and the messenger, there the connection point is finally getting people together so we have got good information on how to improve quality of life. So, hi, Dave, and everybody over there. Appreciate what you do.
2: In NBA action,
1: the Oklahoma City Thunder pulled out a victory in Game 7 of the second round of the NBA playoffs. The, the only team that actually went the full distance, the full seven games, they dominated the game from the start so now we know the Dallas Mavericks, who pummeled the Los Angeles Lakers um, in a four-to-zip, I just, you know, had to add that for emphasis, and a four-to-zip victory, will face the Thunder. Dallas has home court advantage and will begin the Western Conference Finals on Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time in Dallas. I like the matchup. I think Dallas has the advantage. OKC is a younger and perhaps even a faster team, but Dallas is the experienced team who is interested in bringing Dallas a championship that fans, and I put me in that too, fans wanted five years ago, which, by the way, when the Miami Heat came and won four straight after we would already, we, Dallas Mavericks, had won two, so... We want it bad. I mean, we tasted it. We could smell it. We were making the parade route five years ago. Dallas wants it bad. I mean, look J.J. Beret is out there. He's taking hits, and he, I mean, he's like a little energizing bunny. He keeps coming back. So that will be a very interesting match. I think they might be a little tired. What's nice is the travel is really, really short in between Dallas and OKC, so that should be great for both teams. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, the center uh, should be coming in into town today. So we'll see what happens tomorrow night and during Game One. The Bulls face uh, or the Bulls fairy tale season continues on. So they defeated the uh, Hawks and it was an interesting Game Seven. You shouldn't have gone to that, but uh, or was or not Game Seven was interesting. Game Six, I don't think you should have even gone to that, but it did. Uh, but now they're playing the Miami Heat. They played them last night. Now. I tried my best to watch the game, but I selfishly, I I was drawn between some other television events. But I caught up on the blogs and all the highlight reels. So, game really wasn't necessarily in one person's court or the next until the third quarter. Late in the third quarter, the uh, Bulls went on a ten-zero run, and then apparently they never looked back. Now, contributions from LeBron James—he helped the Bulls win. He contributed five of 15 from the field. Now, when you start, when you go five of 15 for your team and you're supposed to be the star and they're hoping you're going to put in 25, 30 points, yeah, you're supposed to lose. I mean, that was going to happen. And unfortunately, all of his teammates really gave this lackluster performance. I don't know if they were just tired, I don't know if they had a little too much time off, but that's what happened. I mean, they were in both in Bulls' territory, in Bulls' court, because as you know, Bulls have home court advantage all throughout the actual playoffs. So I don't know what it was, but game one goes to the Bulls, and they, I mean, to borrow a phrase from a friend of mine, they pummeled them at the end. So the score, I didn't even write the score down. The score was like a billion to nothing, you know, to one, Uh, but they won. But as Phil Jackson would say, it doesn't matter if you won a loss by a big margin or a little margin, is a W or it's an L? And for the Bulls, that that is going to be a W for Game One. So, um, you know, they showed us why they had the best record in the regular season. So they've got the league's MVP and the Coach of the Year. Could they also snag the coveted Larry O'Brien Trophy? So, first thing first, Game Two will be in the Shy on Wednesday at 8:30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The, the Heat have some adjustments. To do, they've got two days to get it together, and I mean, get it together. Um, We'll see what they do. I suspect they'll be much more alive by by Wednesday night. You know, I think it's going to be a Mavericks Bulls final. That's what I think. I'd I'd like to see that. Um, It'd be really fun. I've got a lot of friends in Chicago, so it'd be a great rivalry for us to go back and forth. So selfishly, that's what I want to happen. And other sports news: Doc Rivers, who many thought, uh, really maybe making his grand exit, signed a five-year extension uh, to his coaching contract with the Mean Greens, the Boston Celtics. So Doc is the guy, but we'll see what happens to the team. KG mentioned that if there was a lockout, he may consider retiring. Um, He actually said that months ago. So we'll see now that he is gone fishing and potentially there will be an NBA lockout if the two sides don't seem anywhere close although we know at the drop of a dime a and and negotiation can change dramatically. Uh, but we'll see. But what I do see is that this is going to be a changing of the guard. Many players who are on the verge of retirement age really are considering retirement based on this the, the great unknown of what happens with the NBA lockout, how long would it, will it happen, what will the new rules be, how will it impact them, and is it just simply time to go? I mean the MVP this past season was 22 years old. The league is is it, might be getting younger, but not really. The league's not getting younger. It's just that the the people are some of the people are getting older. So, you know, I there's no doubt that this off season again will look like a change in the guard. I've got my popcorn out. Some have told me already that they are retiring, but I am sworn to secrecy, so I cannot say anything. So the NBA, CBA, <laughs> that'll be a mouthful of talks, are not going well, Scary to think, because the agreement expires June 30th. Um, I've gotten several calls from persons claiming to be Billy Hunter, by the way. Just wanted to tell you all that. Um, I've gotten several calls at, at my production office, Tivo and Tebow Productions. And in case you don't know, I'm already locked and loaded on filming a basketball documentary. So much like the football documentary that I'm filming, calling Audible, I have already locked and loaded on calling a tech that's my basketball documentary that's going to highlight the physical and financial impact of life after pro basketball. Um, Billy Hunter, are you really calling me? Is that really you? Um, you in my office can't tell. Um, I've, I've had voicemails from you, but I still can't tell if, if it's you. So send me an email, Billy, uh, fearless at I'm Obviously easy to find. So send me an email and tell me what the call is about. One thing I don't do, I just don't call people back blindly. My office can't really get anything a fact out of you, so you're not getting a call back if it's really the real Billy Hunter. So it would be interesting. I would definitely let you guys know if Billy Hunter uh, is calling me. All right, so wanted to say hello to the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce. So, and, and if you're watching Ustream, behind me there's this plaque. I'm kind of like putting my hand around the image of where it is on the wall. That is my proud member of the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce, Placard. I uh, wanted to say hello to the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce. By the way, and you've heard this before, the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce is the oldest and the largest Black Chamber of Commerce in the country. Uh, founded in 1926, the uh, you know burned into everyone's minds and a part of the chamber's constructive leadership since 1926. And so, you know, I'm a member, I serve on the board and the executive committee as well as a parliamentarian. This week, our chamber is being honored on the floor of the Texas House of Representatives in Austin, Texas, for our commitment, leadership, and significant contribution uh, to and in the city of Dallas and beyond for African-American entrepreneurs and business. This is kind of the first-of-its-kind type of honor for chambers in the state, and I can tell you that we work awfully hard for our members. It's really super cool that we're being recognized, and a special thanks to Representative Yvonne Davis, really for the for the recognition. So it's just it's going to be exciting. So we're trying to get as many board members, as they're honoring our board, to to jump in our our uh, chamber van, and we're going to just go down there, old school, and be very happy that you know that we can stand on the on the floor and be recognized, and hopefully just for us hopefully it's our opportunity to really extend our own eyes and faces uh, to some of the other people that play a very big role in the political process and public policy to be able to build and strengthen our relationships. Uh One thing I am in the midst of doing, so I've I'm seen I'm seeing a little bit of time, one thing I'm in the midst of doing is prepping a new show um, so I'm doing. I'll be doing two. Uh, this one will be about once a month, though, so it won't be nearly as much um, as this one. But I am hosting a show for the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce, which will be called Chamber Talk. And in that sh- in that show, in one of the interviews I was doing uh, with the president, uh, President Charles O'Neill, we talked about the differences between, uh, you know, political people and representatives and public policy and the need for a chamber it is still necessary it's great great conversation uh, it always comes up when i talk to people i tell them i'm a member of the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce a lot of people don't know that there is a black chamber of commerce period and if they if they know it many people feel like it's no longer necessary cuz you know it's it's all equal out there by the way <laughs> It's equal It's not even equal on paper if you start digging up certain laws in um certain areas um of this country but uh and so it's just a great, great conversation, so I will definitely point you guys to uh chamber talk when i talk when I talk do this show next week at six a m but chamber talk is going to air um uh, should be next Monday, I believe, so that's gonna be uh, an exciting show too It will air next Monday at eleven a m Central Daylight Time. So I'll be able to do this show before that one actually airs. It'll be totally pre-produced. So that is exciting. I wanted to show you guys a copy of my book for a reason, especially for my Ustream people, uh, because I wanted to make a point about something very interesting that happened to me. Uh, uh, Here it is. So for those people who are on Ustream, I want you to see this book, and for those of you who are listening on Blog Talk. I'm holding up a copy of my book, Success Simplified. Um, it is a book that I did. I'm on the cover with Dr. Stephen Covey. He's the man, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he went on to do the eighth habit and all these great things. Uh, Dr. Tony Alessandra, uh, really known for being the big proponent of this and just a great speaker and just wonderful and then Patricia Fripp, who is also just a wonderful, wonderful speaker, really renowned. So I was picked to be on the cover, um, and I have a chapter in this book called Lessons from a Sports Mind. So why is this important? Why am I saying it? I'm not really publishing my book, but I wanted to point it out, because so for those of you who are just listening and can't see. All right, I'm on the cover of this book, okay? I stumbled across, if you can believe this, I stumbled across. One of the authors in this book, and I'm going to say who it is because as long as I'm saying the truth, mm-hmm. then the truth will set you free, and you can't get in trouble for saying the truth. Mm-hmm. One of the authors, fill his hands, all right, she's he's in here but not right here, okay? One of the authors in the book took my image of my book and is selling her book or selling a, a book with my image on it, without my permission, I mean, when I tell you that is so harshy, I was like, wow. But what's so bad about it is that she's redirecting my book sales probably to her. And so no telling how much I've lost on book sales because she's doing this. And, I mean, really, really a bad situation. Um, I'm disappointed because according to Miss Haynes' bio, she's like a – former ABC correspondent and has done some really great things. So I'm disappointed to see theft of my image and usage of it without my permission. One of my friends said, oh, well, you know, you must be getting big now that people are using your uh, your image to help sell things for them for their own gain but not for yours. And, I mean, I was like, wow. And so I had to send this whole cease and desist letter thing to her, and uh, guess what? She still didn't take it down. So I just looked at it a few hours ago, and it's still not down um, on on Amazon. So you know, I'm going to say my opinion. You know, that's that's not right. Miss um, Haynes does not have my permission. I'm going to send one more um, one more email out and strongly worded letter. And after that, it's bad. I might have to actually file a lawsuit because somebody stole my image. What is this like? Is that real? Is that shouldn't be what it is. But maybe it's because the book is so good that <laughs> people actually want to just steal everything about it. I don't know. But my chapter, Lessons from a Sports Mind, I really kinda of bring in what success means uh from both a person who has coached athletes in their career transition as well as you know, an athlete mentality of really how you go out and achieve success. So if you want to buy the book, my copy of the book, a book that I'll sign the best thing is to go to jennifertebo.com. Uh, I have bunches of my books because I'll go and speak and I'll, and I'll you know, either give the books away or sell them at the end or at the conference, what have you. So I've got a nice big stash of my own books. If you order the books directly from me, then you know that you're getting my books. Because I don't know what she's selling because she did not have my books. She's not authorized to sell my books. Uh, but you'll get my book, and I'll even sign it and put some special things in there. So I just had to bring that up because, again, it's like, wow, people are really getting desperate in this economy. And I know we're still not moving very much on unemployment, and we're still around 9% nationally. Uh, the real story is not the 9% unemployment. The real story is, if you look at the breakdown with ethnicity where unemployment is, uh, to me, that that tells a whole lot more because we're in double digits um, for many groups of people of color, and that is a problem. Uh, it doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean that employers are firing more people of color or not hiring at a, you know the same rate as people of color. It could mean that foundationally we were set up this way that in rough times we were going to have the lesser of the jobs. So I think it's eye opening to understand where our foundation is, how it has supported or not supported or broken um our different communities and different segments of the population. But that's for another show. So um if you recall, I talked about some guest interviews that I had planned, wound up kind of being, you know, scheduled, challenged and it was a little bit of a nightmare. So my deepest apologies, but we just kind of ran out of time to get the interviews prepped and ready to go. Next week you will hear more from some cool experts. I promise, I promise. Um always check me out on jennifertebo.com. That's J E N N I F E R T H I D E A U X. That is a very long name. Jennifer dot com. You can just Google me or I think I even have a link for it on my blog talk radio um show page. You can just click on it and, and, and it will launch. Um how can you how can you support the show? People always ask me that. Well, first, I want you to join. I want you to dial in. I want you to listen in. Um, I want you to be a part of the show. That's always a great, great way to support the show, and it's a free way. Uh, it's a free way to support the show. You can listen to the show online through Blog Talk Radio. You can dial in. It will always be the same in number, which is a 347-637-1837. You can go to UStream and watch the show, or on UStream by TV. If you don't catch it live, because I know I do it early for a lot of people, especially my West Coast people, you can always watch it on demand. Blog Talk Radio. I'm featured in iTunes. I have like 52. This is like the 53rd episode of of, of, of my show, so I'm really proud of that. And you can catch me on iTunes, or go to UStream to catch all of the shows on demand. So. That's how you can find the show, but if you go to JenniferTibo.com, you've got great products, books, audiobooks. books. Again, I'm still filming, calling an Audible. Everything is going great. Can't wait to make this big announcement. Keep up on Twitter all week. It's been like more than a pleasure spending time with you. I can't wait to continue to keep up with you. And if you need me, I'll be there. I can't sing it, but I'll be there. <laughs>